Welcome to the Young IPA Podcast. I'm James. This is Pete. G'day, everyone. It is episode 130, and it is the 10th of October. Mm. Big show coming up. Yeah. We are going to be talking to Tim Wilson, MP, coming back on the show, the member for Goldstein, Liberal mm-hmm. Party MP. He was at the Hong Kong protests earlier this week, yep. uh, so we're going to be talking to him about the scene uh, that he saw, and also because he started to get a lot of, uh, you know, uh, People going at him because uh, he once tweeted something about Occupy Melbourne. We're just going to break down why Hong Kong protesters aren't the same as Occupy Melbourne protesters. We're also going to be talking to Vale Sloan from Atlas. Now, Atlas is an organization maybe a lot of our listeners and viewers are not aware of, but they do incredible work around the world helping people get out of poverty. So we're just going to be learning a bit about what Atlas does and what some of the recent success stories do- success stories are. We're also going to be talking about Extinction Rebellion. We've got a really great Heroes and Villains segment. Uh, we're going to be talking about Justin Trudeau again, which I love. Pete, anything you're looking forward to? I'm absolutely looking forward to the Vale Sloan interview. Like, I've already listened to it because I was there. But yep. it was, if, you're, present. if you're thinking, if you're, like, worried about the world or anything, listen to this. It's completely inspiring and yep. it's fantastic. Yeah, awesome. Uh, but we'll start off with the big story in the world this yep. week. And, Pete, we've been doing this podcast for coming up on three years now. Oh. Uh, we've been doing it for a Come, while. And two and a half. I've got to say, I've never been more happy with a one-hour lead-off story than I am this week because my worlds are combining. Yeah, like exactly we're talking right. politics and we're also talking NBA. Exactly. You're a uh, basketball nuffy. Yeah. I know I never bring it up with you, Pete, but I'm actually a big basketball fan. Yeah. Uh, so if people don't know the story, so Houston Rockets general manager, basically the guy that controls the Houston Rockets' uh, big decisions, tweeted out support of the Hong Kong protests. And this did not go down well with the NBA. Uh, he was, you know, he, a, a, an apology was quickly put out there. The Houston Rockets team owner distanced himself from the tweets. The NBA distanced themselves from the tweets. Uh, and the reason that they did this is because the NBA-China relationship is worth $4 billion really? to the NBA as of last year. It's only going to get bigger as esports take off, uh, which is uh, and 800 million people in China watch NBA programming TV, on-pro right? TV, digital media or smartphones last year, okay. which is 2.5 times the population of the US. Uh, so, Pete... Because I could talk about this and then the NBA for literally two and a half days without stop, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just give you a chance to get your takes out before I come <laughs> in. Well, uh, yeah, so that, so that happened. And obviously he got uh, a number of sponsors left the Rockets, including the very aptly named China State Broadcaster CCTV. Yes. How good that? <laughs> I, I, I thought could... it was like, so they're not being broadcast on streets anymore? It's like, yeah. oh, no, that's actually the broadcaster. Exactly right. Very apt name. But we saw that. Uh, we also saw, I mean, the big thing for me was the guy, uh, what's his name? Silverman. Uh, Adam Silver, Adam so he's Sil- the commissioner of the NBA. That's right. Big so boss. He, he came out, and this is the guy, as I'm sure you're going to say in a sec, uh, who is a big social warrior guy, yep. social justice guy. Yeah. So go through that. Okay, okay. so li- this is literally the league that two years ago moved the All-Star game out of Charlotte yeah, yeah, because yeah. the state had uh, brought in laws that people, like, you know, uh, that made transsexuals go to bathrooms dependent on what their birth gender was. Mm-hmm. Like, they moved the NBA All-Star yeah. game out of that city because they wanted it to take a stand. Yeah. But one general manager puts out a tweet in support of Hong Kong, and you know what? We don't really get into social things. We're yeah. just about basketball. Yeah. Let's just let's just play basketball. He goes, one of the enduring strengths of the NBA, this is silver, one of the enduring strengths of the NBA is our diversity of views, backgrounds, ethnicities, genders, and religion. Well, i got news for you, mate. Yeah. That is not a value of the CCP Yeah, exactly. In China. Uh, I also saw so Adam Silver today because there's been so much backlash in, mm. as, from the NBA's perspective uh, to the NBA for their statements, Adam Silver put out a statement today. However, the NBA will not put itself in a position of regulating what players, employees, and team owners say or will not say on these issues. Now, Adam, if I could refer you back to what you did three days ago, yeah, yeah. you might uh, realize something about your own actions there. Yeah, yeah exactly right. No, it's completely hypocritical. We should point out as well that friend of the show, Andrew Bogut, who we've had on the program before, quite a while ago now, also tweeted out, thanks, Daryl Murray. So that's the Maury, guy. Yeah. Maury, even. That's the guy from Houston Rockets for taking some of the uh, NMSL's abuse I was flooded with, enjoy the next few weeks anytime you post anything. Now, apparently NMSL means your mother is dead in oh. Chinese. So that's the name that he gives to uh, people, critics from China. So Because I assume a lot of them would have tweeted that at him because he's been quite vocal on the issue. That's right. And he's also been vocal, vocal on Sun Yang, the drug cheat. So he's a uh, drug cheat Chinese swimmer. So he's, he's been in there. I'm glad you went back in to make sure we got troll tweets from China. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so uh, so that, was, that was interesting as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
and it's one of those things where it's like uh, when the corporate, like everyone's got morals until you like oh. put a dollar sign on it. Yeah, yeah. And because like the NBA can be like, look, I care about freedom of expression to the $4 billion mark and yeah. then I don't. Yeah. Like, you know, in 20 years' time when their kids ask them, so what was Hong Kong? And you can say, like, oh, it's the freest city in the world. Yeah. It was a beacon of horror, oh. but it was a beacon of the free markets. Uh, you know, could we have done anything to save it before the Chinese army moved in? No, but I did fire a guy who tried. Yeah, like, exactly. I fired a guy oh. who tried to do it and he's never able to get a job in the NBA again. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, the other part of it is, like, Houston, the Houston Rockets, the team that Daryl Morey's a general mm. manager of, is the most important team in NBA China relationships because, mm. like, that was a team that had Yao Ming, the seven foot six Chinese star, the best player that's ever come out of China. Like, it could not have come from a worse team. And already the NBA is like trying to market the Brooklyn Nets because they're owned by people that have invested in Alibaba. It's like, mm. oh, maybe you guys can pivot to this team to go for. Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. it is disastrous for the NBA. But if you want to be social justice warriors, exactly this right. is a huge social exactly justice right. issue. You get on your, your high horse, you tell everyone else how to behave. When yep. it comes to the crunch, you are absolute cowards. Yeah, yeah. It just gets me every time. Exactly. Uh, I could talk about this for literally yeah, four and a half could, hours, so we? we should probably move on to another we talk, topic. We talk about it a little bit more with Tim Wilson later in the show. So oh, basically, Nikola Jokic is passing <laughs> out of the post this season. I'm a bit worried, but... <laughs> so no. are you still watching NBA now? That I will... Yeah, look, uh, this is a terrible <laughs> time in NBA history. Yeah. I will watch literally every single game. Okay, so Bolt, you know, he's not convinced. Take the LA Lakers season total under. It's an absolute lock. Okay. All right. Do that, people. All right. The other story this week in Australia and around the world is that Extinction Rebellion have been at it again. Uh, they've been disrupting road traffic in Sydney this morning. Yesterday, a bloke in Brisbane erected a hammock from the Story Bridge for six hours. And in Melbourne this morning, uh, a whopping 35 protesters blockaded Gibbs and Hoddle Street. A dri- a and if called- you're not in Melbourne, like Hoddle Street, that is a big st- street to lock down. Like it's a big that, street. There's a lot of traffic that got held up. It is a lot of traffic for 35 protesters and a drizzly cold morning in Melbourne today. So it's funny that a number of those numbers fell. We also saw people overseas protesting. Uh, James is going to show you a little bit later a very good video from, oh, yes. from uh, London, <laughs> I, was, I believe. I was a bit is- worried there and then I realised <laughs> that I do know what that is. I thought I ran that by you. <laughs> anyway, so that's the story. I mean, we all know what's going on with Extinction Rebellion. Last week, Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton suggested that scrapping we should oh, sorry, just a little lack of attendance thing. Uh, one thing I wanted to say, so people in Melbourne this week uh, were planning a swarm for survival on Wednesday, an extinction rave on Friday night, Ooh, and a nudie parade for Saturday. Why are the things they always they do always fun? Yeah. Like no one's saying like, hey, let's clean up a beach and yeah. take photos of that. It's always like, no, nah, let's party. Yeah, yeah. Or do a nudie run. Yeah. <laughs> let, let, let's let's do the thing that I'd be doing anyway tonight, but in the morning in yeah. front of cameras. Yeah, exactly. They should, uh, you know... I don't want to climate, do anything hard. Yeah, exactly. They should, for, for climate, get, you know, plastic out of the bay or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway... So, the Dutton thing. The Dutton thing. So, yeah. he suggested we should scrap welfare payments for climate change activists who break the law. Now, I don't think requirements around what welfare should change based on a person's political yeah. views... But I think the key thing about this is Dutton's got this thing wrong because these aren't welfare recipients. Climate protesters are rich. Yeah, yeah. They're upper middle class. They're an upper middle class death cult. Brendan O'Neill <laughs> said during the week in spite, which is a terrific article, and you should check it out. Um, but that's the thing. Climate yeah. protest is is for rich white people. Oh, there'd be definitely some welfare recipients in the climate. Don't burst. kill my narrative, James. <laughs> yeah, um, but I'm just saying. Yes, like the ones we see are definitely well off. Yeah. Like, but yeah, for the Peter Dutton thing, like the first time I read this, I thought it was a parody. Okay. Like, I thought, <laughs> like that is what something uh, that is what someone would say if they were trying to make fun of what Peter Dutton would say. Yeah. It's like he would cut off welfare recipients. Like <laughs> he might actually be snidely whiplash at this point. No, he did say. But that. like, yeah. So the government can just go around punishing people for having different political yeah. opinions to them. Like, were any of the pro-life uh, abortion protesters yeah, were yeah. any of their welfare recipients uh, being punished for you know going out and protesting abortion? Exactly right. Wait till and, the shoes on the other foot. Yeah, exactly. Like when Labor and Green get in power, it's like, well, you guys were doing it, so now mm. uh, you know anyone that's protesting for freedom of speech or against mm. 18C, like uh, their welfare recipients are gone too. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Now I had one final point on this. Okay, I live in Brunswick. My commute, hippie community, very yeah, sorry, very greeny environmentalist community. Now my commute to work has been absolutely untouched by these protests. Yeah. So, so when are these people going <laughs> to when are going to block Sydney Road, Brunswick? Yeah. Or the mighty Upfield line. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it's never. It's always you know Hoddle Street or you know Spring Street. Just a just a point. Just a point. Have okay. noticed uh, any Pete, uh, uh, arguing for him being late to work every day? I wonder well, why. it'll be a good excuse. I wonder, I wonder why Pete wants to be late to work. Yeah, exactly. Uh, cool. Mm. So I think you wanted to also talk about stand up for nuclear. Oh yeah, that's right. So stand up for nuclear, October the twentieth. Uh, it's a great event being run by 
uh, David Limbrick from yep. the, friend of the Liberal show. Democrats, friend of the show. Uh, check it out. Uh, it's just Google. Stand up for nuclear October 20, Melbourne. Yeah, if you really wanted to stand up for the environment and cut emissions, mm. then you want to embrace nuclear energy. Exactly right. All Thank right. you. Uh, let's move on to our Heroes and Villains segments. <laughs> So this is when we praise people that are standing up for liberty and uh, punish those who stand against it. Yeah. Uh, now, Pete, we don't uh, actually punish them. But well, we, we make fun of them. <laughs> yeah. And isn't that punishment enough? Just for it's a... punishment in China. Uh, yeah, exactly. There's well, a reason Winnie the Pooh's banned. We will be censored in China. Well, hopefully. That's what uh, It'll be good for more, uh, PR. Hmm. Not in China, but elsewhere. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway, Pete, uh, your hero. Okay, so my hero this week is a lot. It's sort of the opposite to the NBA. You'd sort of, you know, the, the, the direct opposite. They're the creators of South the Park. The NHL. No, okay. Trey Parker and Matt Stone, the creators of South, South Park, who are libertarians, I might add, not just on this issue. Now, the most recent episode of South Park, uh, second show of their 23rd season, was called Banned in China and features... B-A-N-D. Like, was there... The title for them was B-A-N-D. That's but obviously right. Banned in China. That's right. That's a good point, censored. actually. That's a good point. Uh, and it's a pun. It, that's right. And featured clips such as this. I want to get away from that farm more than anything. But it's not worth living in a world where China controls my country's art. What? I don't care how many people you have. All right. Now, obviously, that ridicules the Chinese government. The, the episode also includes uh, references to Xi Jinping looking like Winnie the Pooh, which he absolutely does. Uh, it's and, uncanny. And it's got a quote in it from one character saying, you've got to lower your ideals of freedom if you want to suck on the warm teat of China. So obviously that's what the NBA has been doing yep. this week. Now, this was completely wiped from the Chinese uh, internet. You know, they've got a version of Twitter, a version of YouTube, a version of Facebook, completely wiped, even from fan sites. In retaliation, Parker and Stone put a mock apology on their Twitter on Monday that went like this. Like the NBA, we welcome the Chinese censors into our homes and into our hearts. We too love money more than freedom and democracy. She doesn't look like Winnie the Pooh at all. Tune into our 300th episode at 10. Long live the great communist of China. May this autumn sorghum harvest be bountiful. We good now, China. South Park are just, and they continue to be, the best. Yeah. Like, it's this, it was the Danish cartoons, mm. it was Scientology. They are on the right side of every single political issue like this. And they've got heaps of money in China as well. Yeah. Like they, they'll lose money because of this. Yeah, exactly. Like they said, you know what, something's more important than money, James. Yeah, like they did on all those other ones. What a pair of legends. All right, uh, my hero uh, isn't particularly a person, but it's uh, Newton's third law of motion, okay. uh, which I had to do a bit of research of, and now I've since forgotten. Science was never my strong point, yeah. or maths, which is uh, something we'll be talking about in a bit but anyway uh as pete alluded to extinction rebellion protests are taking part all over the world and i want to hone in on the london protest where they wanted to spray fake blood on the treasury building uh out of a fire engine yeah. uh, a decommissioned fire engine and this happened so as you can see for the first few seconds things are going all right if you're listening on this so they're trying to spray fake blood out of a fire engine the fire hose becomes a bit too powerful for them so everyone has just run away as the hose is just spraying fake blood all over the street Absolutely none of this is getting on the treasury building at this point. Now people are trying to mass to the hose to stop it running. Oh. Uh, they're getting sprayed as well. No one's being able to control the hose. It is an absolute loose unit at this point. Uh, and <laughs> the gentleman has given up as well. There's one woman who's still trying. And uh, it's honestly one of the best clips. Uh, hopefully my commentating has mm. given life to it. Yeah. Um, well, just imagine Newton's third law of uh, uh, motion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's that old chestnut. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, just out of control, Harry spraying fake blood everywhere except the Treasury building. Now, The Guardian uh, went to bat for the protesters. The yeah. Guardian had it under the headline, Extinction Rebellion Activists Have Sprayed 1,800 Litres of Fake Blood on the Treasury's <laughs> Building in Westminster. I noticed that. No, I didn't think it was on. Yeah, <laughs> I think yeah. You could say nearby yeah. or you could say next to, yeah. but you can't say on. Or down the drain right directly <laughs> next to the building. I love the way it was sort of like it took it seriously, like they had achieved what their yeah, aim was. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Instead of like, that's this not is what the happened. best clip ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. The comments underneath that were very... Very funny. I love the way the blokes on the top of it just sort of allow the old guy and the young woman to try and tackle the hose while yeah, they yeah. sort of watch it and, you know, <laughs> leaders of poison go down the drain to help the environment. Yeah, that's the thing. Like uh, the whole like, oh, the protesters didn't live by their own ideals mm. is be becoming a bit of a cliche thing. Yeah. But I just want to point out a diesel fueled fire engine was driven to the treasury building yeah. to spray 1800 litres of a liquid that definitely contains drinking water yeah. onto a building. Exactly right. Swing and a miss. Nah, All right, no uh, good. Let us move on to villains. Now, uh, these are the villains of the week, the Howard Peck uh, Villainy Award. Now, Pete, uh, you want to talk about the oppression of maths. I 
do. I do want to talk about the impression of maths. My villain this week is the Ethnic Studies Advisory Committee under the Seattle Public School Superintendent. So that uh, is a bit of a tongue twister for you. They published a, pre- a preliminary math ethnic studies framework document uh, which describes how maths can oppress people from ethnic minorities. As part of this document, it said Western mathematics as the only is the only legitimate expression of a mathematical identity and intelligence. It goes on to say, who gets to say if an answer is right? What is the process for verifying the truth? Who is smart? Who is not smart? And then it goes on to consider how maths has been used to resist and liberate people uh, from communities of colour from oppression. So there's a few things to unpack here. Yeah. Firstly, it's stupid because like maths is just maths. Yeah, yeah. No- like that's a classic like uh, people that have spent their entire life in arts and politics mm. coming to maths yeah. because like in arts and politics, yeah, like who is right? No yeah. one knows. Yeah. But in maths, it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> one plus one does equal two. There's just maths. And the other thing, I mean, this goes in my file of people trying to not be racist, but being absolutely and completely racist. Maths isn't Western. Yeah. Okay. It's not like a white people thing. It's just maths. So if you think that like, you know, mathematical truths are like for white people over here, that is also completely racist. Yeah. Uh, there was one thing out of this that I did actually like. Sorry. In the uh, ethnic framework studies framework, there's one theme of history of resistance and liberation. These are like mm. themes that people might want to discuss. And it's talking about how uh, the history of resistance and liberation as defined by ethnic studies is a stories, places and people who help to liberate people and communities of colour using math, engineering and technology. Now that sounds way cooler than regular maths. Yeah, I'd yeah. be okay with that subject. Like... I don't like learning about angles. I like learning about catapults. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I, I mean, like maybe, learning about trebuchets. Maybe the document wasn't all bad. Yeah. Trigonometry? Yeah. yeah try uh, projectile missiles. Like, exactly. that's how you get me on board. Well, there you go. But uh, they're so, still my villain this week. Yeah, good. Uh, so, my villain this week is Justin Trudeau. Now, this isn't exactly villainy, but it is just the best. And I, I want to play really... this uh, up front. So, Justin Trudeau got in a bit of a hot water recently with the old blackface thing mm. uh if you missed that a few times, a few times uh, i think we're up to four or five now i, oh, I thought it was still on three but I could um, be on. anyway the man likes dressing up in blackface sorry at a town hall ahead of the election <laughs> <laughs> yeah at the at a town hall at the upcoming election uh a person wanted to ask what's he done to address the fact that yeah. he used to dress up in blackface. Yep. I'm just going to play the clip in full. So that didn't answer the question at all. Have you spoken to any African leaders or leaders from the Middle East to apologize for your personal conduct? I have continued to engage with leaders around the world in a responsible way during an election campaign. My focus is connecting with Canadians as I was able to tonight. And I was very pleased to see so many of the questions turn to the environment. Uh, In all sections, there was a clear contrast uh, between those on stage who don't think we should be fighting climate change uh, and those of us who do. And again, we are the only party with a clear plan to fight climate change. Literal screeching would have been a better answer than yeah. that. Like getting on the ground and barking like a dog for 30 seconds would have been a better answer than what he gave. Yeah. Like that is atrocious. That is one hell of a pivot. Like, yeah. well, who cares if I'm a racist because these guys aren't going to introduce a carbon tax. <laughs> yeah. Come on, mate. That's worse than, you know. No, but just, like, just like he so clearly hasn't reached out to anyone. And you could ask yeah. like, like what, what does reaching out even mean? Like yeah. just calling up a prime minister of an African nation and being like, sorry, mate. But yeah. uh, like I do like, you know, I, I actually... We'll bring this to your attention, Pete. I okay. actually have the written answer they prepared for this that Justin Trudeau pivoted away from at the last Really? Second. You've got your hands yeah, on that? Yeah, yeah. So he actually, the answer was going to be every time he tries and sees things from the perspective of an African leader, he just ends up dressing up like one. So, <laughs> like, you know, he tries to put themselves in their shoes and ends up actually putting them That's himself what he in said. their shoes. Yeah, but it just it creates its own problem again. He yeah. keeps doing it. He can't stop. Yeah. All right. Uh, that is it for the start of the show. We'll now go to our interviews and the quiz. Mm-hmm. Okay, we welcome back to the show uh, Liberal MP for Goldstein, Tim Wilson. Tim, welcome back to the program. Thanks so much for having me. No worries, mate. So you're in Hong Kong recently, uh, on Monday, in fact, for just 24 hours, speaking at a conference for The Economist uh, magazine. In that time, you also managed to fit in going to the protests in Hong Kong. What's the scene like up there? Well, you know, like any uh, country or any, any city where there's protests, the vast bulk of the city is completely relaxed, normal, and people getting on with their lives. But uh, there are flashpoints, and particularly along Gloucester Road between kind of Wan Chai and Causeway Bay, uh, on Sunday afternoon there was a lot of intensity. But you know, the vast majority of protesters are people saying we want to fight for our future and they want to, uh, uh, a vote on their future. 
uh, as well as a whole series of other demands. And um, we're doing it peacefully because they know that their future is on the line. That's interesting that you say that it's uh, sort of uh, only at a few flashpoints. How many people are still taking part in the protest, do you reckon? I don't know exact numbers, but there were certainly tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, on the weekend. Uh, you know, that's obviously not the same as it was a couple of weeks ago where there were about two million, but uh, I think um, people know that it's uh, heating up. And so uh, they've also, the Hong Kong authorities have shut down the train system um, on the weekend. So it's very hard to get around if, if you know Hong Kong, it basically lives off the train system. So I imagine that makes it harder for some people to get around to get to the protest. But uh, it's pretty serious. And these people are on the, um, uh, on the front line of the contest of two very different worldviews. They've picked the Liberal Democratic side, and I think we have a responsibility to support them. Now, what was the craziest thing you saw in your time at the protests? I'm going to say there was nothing particularly crazy. It was uh, the, the craziest thing was the weather. It was bucketing down with rain, but it didn't deter that many people. And so there were just lots of people with, pro, uh, with uh, umbrellas, um, but marching down the streets. Uh, I caught the ferry from the Kowloon side over to the Hong Kong Island side, and I saw some kids, you know, with, uh, with masks who obviously were protesters, but there was this point where somebody shouted out something in Cantonese. I don't know what it was. Uh, but then the whole ferry just responded in unison uh, with a response consistent with the protesters' messages. And you realise that this is not um, this is history being made. It's a pretty contentious time for Australian politicians on this issue, and I know a few of them try, aren't too uh, keen to wade into it. So what made you, uh, you know, actually join the protest, and have you copped any uh, pushback for it? Uh, it, is, it is a difficult time, um, but when... You think about the free people on the front line of a choice between two differing worldviews. As a Liberal Democrat, I obviously side with those wanting Liberal democracy. Uh, and obviously as a backbencher, not as a minister, I don't represent the government. I just basically represent myself and my constituents. Uh, and I thought it was the right thing to be happy to be held accountable uh, to my constituents about that. Uh, but I, uh, I haven't received any pushback. In fact, um, you know, it wouldn't surprise that many other Liberal Democrats have probably, uh, probably said that they thought it was, um, you know, maybe at times courageous, but nonetheless a bold move and one that they supported. Uh, because I think people know just how serious the situation is. And when you've got people on the front line of two competing worldviews and they're, own, they're pushing for the types of values that we believe in, uh, that it's probably a good thing to support them. Now, we talked earlier in the show about the troubles that NBA and South Park have gotten into regarding China no. this week. Uh, what's your take on that, the balance between, uh, I guess, corporates trying to balance their bottom line and doing the right thing? Do you have a view on that? Well, I just think the NBA is sold out in their capitulation, frankly, um, and I think it's uh, really disturbing and disgraceful. They're not the first, though, I mean, uh, and I think we need to acknowledge that, whereas uh, I, I much more uh, appreciate South Park's approach, which is um, to laugh at those essentially, because the one thing that authoritarian regimes can deal with is reason debate. What they can't deal with is uh, ridicule for uh, their positions and their behaviour and pointing out the absurdities uh, that their solution to people are criticising for censorship is censorship. Um, and... Uh, it's, it, I think humour is a critical part of uh, the uh, political arsenal to fight for the type of world that we want. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just like uh, reflecting on the fact that Winnie the Pooh <coughs> is actually banned in China, just to give you an idea of how thin-skinned uh, totalitarian <laughs> regimes can be. Uh, now, Peter and I found out about you being in uh, Hong Kong for the protest when uh, you put up an Instagram post about it, and the Instagram post said the last time you were protesting in Hong Kong, you were also wearing a pink polo T-shirt. So what was that protest <laughs> about, and what is it about pink polos that get you feeling the spirit of the revolution? <laughs> <laughs> The pink polo was just coincidental, um, uh, but the last time I was in Hong Kong was in 2003 for the WTO ministerial when I was protesting for free trade uh, and um, and the case for free trade. That was back when we oh, that was back the last time trade policy was exciting and interesting. It went through a bit boring period, and now we're back to interesting. Um, and uh, yeah, just it. I remember the photo clearly, and so I actually just remembered I wore the pink polo, and I just thought it was kind of a way to um, uh, to add to a very serious point something a bit lighthearted. 
So you don't uh, look to the pink polo if you just need a bit of pep in your step on a busy day? I know. I've been involved in many protests and many have been sans uh, pink polo. All right. Well, that's good to hear. Now, because nothing uh, anyone ever does can be greeted well on the internet, you've been copying it because <laughs> you tweeted, sending the water cannons about Occupy Melbourne protesters many years ago. Do you want to, uh, yes. do you want to explain why Hong Kong protesters are not like Melbourne Occupy Melbourne <laughs> protesters? Well, 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 firstly, uh, that, that, that tweet was made in 2011, and it, I'm, I'm going to break it to some people who have obviously lost their sense of humour, like the CCP. It, it was actually a joke, but, you know, people like to bring it up. Um, I also think it's extraordinary, frankly, that you get all these people who, you know, see me in Hong Kong protesting against an authoritarian regime and the right of people to be able to do basic things like vote, and their response is not to say... I don't like Tim Wilson, but I agree with him on this. They actually, their first instinct is to try and delegitimise me and do the de facto work of the CCP for them. <laughs> um, they're sort of useful idiots of the world. Um, and uh, so, uh, but there is a difference. Uh, the Occupy Melbourne protest, and as the Occupy movement was, a group of people who couldn't achieve what they wanted through democratic means, so they chose to occupy public land, and their intention was in perpetuity, uh, until they made their points and everybody came to agree with them. The, the people who are protesting in Hong Kong are actually protesting for their right to vote. And that's pretty much the base of it. They've got some things about anti-corruption and police brutality and everything else, but that's all very, you know, localised and do with past issues. That's the sort of fundamental principle to be able to decide their own future and self-determination. Yeah, I do like the idea that uh, because they've never done anything to support China themselves, they just look at you and just go, well, how can I bring that down? Like, you know, it's just such exactly. a wild thing. Uh, yeah, but that's okay. You know, history is replete with um, uh, useful idiots from the left um, uh, somehow doing something to either delegitimize uh, opponents of authoritarian regimes uh, in Western liberal democratic countries, um, and they're just adding their name to the roll call of useful idiots of history. <laughs> All right, uh, last question I've got. Would you have had more sympathy for the Occupy Melbourne protesters had they been wearing pink polos? <laughs> um, uh, look, I think, that, I think uh, the pink polo is a bit too cool for school for the Occupy uh, movement. And yeah, the truth is I actually have some sympathy with aspects of what they were trying to achieve because some of their criticism was right about the unaccountability of people who'd done the wrong thing and bank bailouts and philosophically I have some sympathies with that. Um, but I also don't believe that you just get to disobey the law, because we can operate in a society of laws, um, have to have some respect for the rights and freedoms of others for people to be able to do, live their life, uh, and that's what they weren't interested in doing. And around that time I sent out that tweet, because I remember very clearly, uh, is um, they were basically being arrested, because I think they'd been in that space for about two weeks and there were allegations, particularly overseas, of... Um, nefarious conduct that were going on in Occupy sites and there was actually a very credible reason to deal with what was becoming increasingly a public health slash uh, uh, public order issue. All right, brilliant. Tim Wilson, uh, it's so awesome seeing an Australian politician take to the streets in Hong Kong. Thank you for doing that and thanks for coming back on the show. Pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks, mate. Okay, we now welcome on Vale Sloan, the Associate Director for Institute Relations uh, at Atlas Network. Vale, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, mate. Good to be here. Now, Vale, uh, Atlas is a very influential think tank. Uh, it's a really influential organisation. So where is, which organ is Atlas in the vast right-wing conspiracy? Are you the heart, the stomach, are you maybe a kidney? <laughs> mate, we kind of see ourselves as happy warriors, you know what I mean? I'm not sure what organ that would be exactly. Maybe the soul? I don't know. But... Uh, yeah, we really see ourselves as, as the ones who are just trying to fight the good fight when it comes to free people, free markets, you know? Yeah, well, let's get into that. Do we think the soul exists? <laughs> no, just kidding, Vale. I wouldn't ask you that. So I, I should point out that Vale is in Washington, D.C., despite his Aussie accent. We're, we're, we're live with Washington. Now, what is the Atlas Network and how does it help liberty around the world? Yeah, mate, we're a group that works to strengthen the worldwide freedom movement. And we do that through working with uh, just under 500 independent think tank organizations worldwide. I'm talking over 90 countries. And the one thing that unites all of these groups is that they're fighting for free markets and individual liberty. And we really see our job as a bit of a service organization almost where we invest in their projects through grants, train them up through our Atlas Leadership Academy, where we 
provide practical skills to think tank leaders and we celebrate their success through different events and uh you know forums in which we can discuss strategies to make the world a better place one thing i really love that atlas do is the project doing development differently and how it approaches poverty uh solutions so how do we solve poverty mate you took the words out of my mouth because you're actually uh tapped on something really interesting we're doing right now through our Doing Development Differently campaign, we're working with think tanks on the ground in countries where it uh, can be pretty tough to get by and show that local solutions and free markets are how we can get people out of poverty. In fact, our president, uh, Matt Warner, is just about to release a book, Poverty and Freedom, Case Studies on Global Economic Development. And this looks at 13 different examples from groups within our network that have fought against government abuse, fought against closed markets, and as a result, helped people, uh, you know, escape the poverty trap, you know, become entrepreneurs, be able to access education and schools. It's, it's pretty inspiring stuff. I love, Matt, I love, oh, sorry, Vale. <laughs> I love the Doing develop, Development Differently program. Um, I've written about it for the IPA review. What are some of the big success stories um, specifically of the program? Yeah, definitely, definitely. One that I really love is uh, in Argentina, our partner Libertad y Progreso uh, managed to help wind back uh, an electronics tariff, which meant that uh, computers, laptops, iPads that could have gone to young kids in schools just weren't getting through because the price was so ridiculously artificially high. So they pointed this out through videos, a really interesting uh, newspaper campaign, and the government said, hey, you know what? You're right. This is a really bad idea. And they just scrapped the tariff and managed to you know, get these electronics into the hands of kids to help advance their learning. Another one that's really exciting to us is uh, in India, our partner, the Centre for Civil Society, managed to scrap the minimum capital requirement for starting a business, which can sound a bit dry, but basically meant these poor business people couldn't officially start a business unless they had a whole lot of money saved up, which just wasn't a reality for a lot of people. So they managed to convince the government to scrap that and let entrepreneurs take a punt and start their own business, whether it's a street stall or, you know, IT company, education providers. And as a result, it's really helped unleash this entrepreneurial spirit that the government was stepping on in India. So, mate, I could talk your ear off all of this podcast on all the good success stories we're seeing from partners. But the thing is, it's, it's fighting against poverty and it's in, in the local context of each of these countries. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up South America because that's where I think Atlas is doing some really awesome work. Now, I was actually at an Atlas conference in Sydney a few months ago and my roommate for the conference was from Venezuela and he was telling us like what Atlas is able to do with some of the three free market think tanks in Venezuela. I didn't even think there were allowed to be free market think tanks in Venezuela, but they're going. Do you want to talk about uh, Ooh, how yeah. yeah, do you want to talk about how Atlas is helping Venezuelans? Yeah, I'd love to, mate. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm quite proud to be uh, involved with the Centre for Latin America, which is an initiative we, we run at Atlas Network to specifically help our partners in Latin America. There's over 80 groups across the region that we work with. But specifically in Venezuela, mate, there's no sugarcoating it. It's, it's a bloody dire situation. You know, um, when we get reports in from, from friends and allies on the ground, hell, you just have to turn on the news and see the terrible state on, on the ground there. It's, it's really confronting. So... Really what we're trying to do is, is support those people who are still fighting for free markets and free people. Uh, fight the good fight when it's, when it's a, a dark situation, you know. That's through things like research. They're working on education campaigns, uh, trying to educate the next generation of young people and students still in Venezuela um, and, and make sure that they know that a better future exists. It doesn't always have to be like this. And, you know, putting the safety of our partners first is the main thing and, I think the thing that really inspires me about it is that these are independent groups. You know, no, we, we don't control them in any way. And they, they are just fighting for these ideas. So we'll do everything we can to back them. But to see this organic groundswell of, you know, fighting for freedom in Venezuela, it's, it's hard not to be a bit humbled by that, you know? Exactly right. So I think one of the positive spin-offs of stuff like doing development differently and the work that Atlas does is that conservatives and libertarians can mount a really good um, critique of the normal foreign aid status quo, but we haven't really been able to put forward a very credible alternative. But I feel like this is a credible alternative, the idea that a few minor changes or major changes to regulation can lift hundreds of thousands or large numbers of people out of poverty. Do you see that as a spin-off of the good work these organisations are doing, a really good um, uh, alternative for libertarians to put forward? 
Yeah, 100%, mate, 100%. I really think, honestly, it's part of the course for what we all stand for. I mean, the data backs us up. Capitalism's lifted hundreds of millions, billions of people out of poverty over the last few decades. And these are locally grown solutions. This isn't multinational aid organisations or different governments coming in and waving their finger at quote-unquote poor people saying, oh, you know, you're doing it wrong, just listen to us. Not at all. This is us saying, hey, we know people on the ground who understand how local markets work, how people are going to do business, and they want to unleash that. And I think a really good thing that um, you know, I'd want to bring up is as part of our Poverty and Freedom video series, which you can see on our YouTube page, uh, the Atlas Network YouTube page, has over 5 million views for our videos, which show people on the ground in India, Costa Rica, soon to be Ukraine, you know, people who are benefiting from getting out of poverty through free market access and the ability to just live their own lives. It's kind of as simple as that in the end. When you give people a chance to flourish, they're going to take it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess this next question would be for uh, you and Peter, because I know both of you worked on uh, this area for so long. Ooh, but, like, what, but what are like the central building blocks you would look for in a new society if you were to alleviate the... Sorry, if you came to a society that did have a lot of poverty, what would be the central building blocks that governments should be taking on rather than just uh, foreign aid? Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think there's a few things, mate, and it's, and it's obviously the million-dollar question. I think what we've experienced, and it's great working with you know our president Matt Warner on his work to to investigate this very thing, is that uh, it's almost death by a thousand cuts for entrepreneurs in a lot of these places. Whether it's the fees, the registration costs, the waiting periods, the bribes that can be levied on them, uh, you know, it, it just saps the spirit and it definitely drains the wallet. So a big thing is trying to make procedures as simple and transparent and as quick as possible. Uh, to do that really then enables entrepreneurs to get on with the job of what they do best, like being business people. Um, I think that's the biggest building block that comes to mind in terms of what the government can do, almost just get out of the way. And I think additionally, uh, things that, that you know people who want to help need to do is listen to the people on the ground. Like, what are the problems? What isn't working? Because I guarantee you that, you know, what the challenges facing Nepal are not the same as the challenges in Venezuela and not the same challenges as Lithuania. You know, it's a matter of looking at what local entrepreneurs, no matter how successful the country is, uh, what are their challenges and what can we do to fix it? And, you know, they have to be the ones to drive that change. Coming in as an outsider is is in a lot of ways the worst thing you can do and can just antagonise people against uh, undertaking any sort of reform, you know. So that kind of foundational respect is also really important. I, I agree with that. And I'd add to that, the thing that I like about doing development differently is its incremental approach. If you think, you know, I've done work in Cambodia and South Africa and other places, and if you think, um, you know, hey, property rights are a really good thing, you can't just drop them into a context where they've got no cultural history, that just won't work. And you can't just, you know, fight corruption in a place where corruption's been a way of doing business for thousands of years. But the thing about do, do, doing development differently So is, you'd say it's like a 24 hour, you can't do it, fix it in 24 hours. You it's can't be... fix it in 24, maybe not even two days, wow. James. But uh, the thing about doing development differently <laughs> is it takes these tiny little incremental changes that are manageable and it's sort of quantified the fact that it, actually a little change like that makes a huge difference. And then maybe another little change makes a huge difference as well. So it kind of gives you a way of getting around that, you know, reality that you can't change these institutions that we've got in the West yeah. overnight. Because you do feel like foreign aid, like there is some sort of uh, approach where it's just like, if I just sign a big enough check and deposit it, yeah. then I can just walk away and know I've done great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But even even with the way yeah. we, we think about um, uh, development, you know, with property rights and the legal system and stuff, you can't. They just don't spring up overnight. But this gives you a this gives a sort of a, a bite sized chunk that we can work on. Yeah, cool. So absolutely, uh, I couldn't put it better myself. Yeah, uh, sweet. So Val, uh, we talked about South America. We've talked about India. Uh, what is what what part of the world do you reckon is the next big success story that's just primed to really, uh, you know, just explode economically? Mate, I'm going to tell you, I'm really bullish on Africa. I just came back back in August from uh, our Africa Liberty Forum 2019, which was held in Nairobi, Kenya. And we had dozens of countries, you know, Francophone Africa, Nigeria, South Africa, Kenya, you name it. We had people there, um, young people, and, and they're just excited, you know. And there's a lot of push in Africa to, to address institutional problems, economic problems, and, and, and create a better, you know, people are saying, 
uh, on the really inspiring panel, you know, we, we, we have to take charge. We have to build our charge. It's not about aid organisations. It's not about, um, you know, looking to blame people or, or find excuses. We have to create the institutions and the societies that we want. i got to tell you, I'm really excited. Someone is there doing amazing work. You know, in Cote d'Ivoire, we have uh, a partner who's working on land that's been recognised by the uh, World Bank. You know, we've also got partners in Morocco who are helping ease the uh, doing of business through the huge trading ports they have there. And in South Africa, I was also there where they're helping restore uh, land rights to uh, black South Africans that were ripped away under the apartheid government. So, you know, it's hard not to, to look at Africa and think there's some really good stuff happening. And, and I got to say, I, I'm What's this space, mate? I'm really proud of what our, our partners are doing, and I love that Atlas Network can, can do a bit to support them. That's right, Val. And of course, listeners to the Young IPA podcast would remember when we interviewed Linda Kavuka from Kenya, uh, a big part of the African liberty movement. One more f- question for you, Vale. Uh, there are a certain group of countries, and you said it a little bit earlier, there are a certain group of countries that are kind of stuck at the bottom of the pile um, Venezuela would be an example of that, but places like Eritrea, for example, these are countries that, you know, they're not sort of uh, lower middle income earners, they're right on the bottom. Do, the, do you have any partners in those countries and do they face unique challenges that your other partners don't face or do they have different policy aims or what, what kind of stuff do they have to deal with? Yeah, well, uh, yes and yes is the answer to that question, mate. Yes, we do have partners in some really difficult countries, Venezuela being one. Uh, We have a great partner in Burundi, which uh, really uh, has a tough situation when you look at things like the uh, Economic Freedom of the World Index. Uh, I think of other places as well, like, uh, you know, Nepal is still a a very difficult country on the economic data, but we have, uh, I think, at least... Uh, two great partners there, not to mention a number of groups that are coming up. Um, so we do try and work in countries that uh, have have a lot of uh, difficult circumstances. Um, and yes, I think they do have a lot of challenges that, that can be unique, but they can also, you know, learn from other people in the worldwide freedom movement. You know, governments can be corrupt anywhere. Institutions can fail to work properly anywhere, you know, and it's a matter of looking at well, what are some solutions that, that have helped alleviate these problems elsewhere? And time and time again, it's things like transparency, accountability of officials, limiting government overreach, and just making it easy to get on with life, whether that's not following onerous laws, whether it's quickly setting up a business. And so that's why things like our regional liberty forums and upcoming liberty forum and freedom dinner in New York are so important because we get hundreds of leaders from around the worldwide liberty movement in a room and we say, hey, what's working? What's not working? Like, what can we learn from each other? And get on with the job, mate. None of this come by our business. we got a world to, you know, make better. Yeah, that uh, Liberty Forum dinner in Washington, we had some IPA people there a few years ago and they came back so full of energy about wanting to approach the task because it's like they just said, it's so incredible to see like the worldwide freedom movement just in one room together. Yeah, I agree, mate. And, and you know, uh, i got to tell you, I've always got a soft spot for the IPA being, uh, you know, a bit of... You can't take uh, the Australia out of the boy, right? I may have been here for a few years, but uh, I love what you're all doing down back home. And we all watch it keenly at Atlas Network. So, you know, we thank you guys for everything you've done to, uh, you know, keep fighting the good fight in Australia. And actually, you know, be an inspiration for a lot of our partners. If I had a dollar every time a partner from... Uh, a country that's doing it more tough than a place like Australia says, gee, I'm glad that there are Atlas Network partners in the UK, in Australia, in the US, in Canada, because, you know, we can we can fight fights and support them and, and make sure that we're all pulling together as a team. Yeah, cool. Uh, Val, thanks so much for your time. I love talking to someone from Atlas because Atlas organization, one of those places where, you know, like the media cycle is just what did Trump tweet recently or what's the latest with, you know, this is this politician. And then you like talk to someone from Atlas and you're like, oh, actually, there's amazingly important things happening around the world and millions of people are coming out of poverty. And Atlas is just one of those organizations that makes you go, oh, hang on, there's huge victories. So, uh, yeah, Val, thank you so much for your time. I couldn't put it better, yeah. Thanks, Val. Thank you, fellas. You You have a great day. Appreciate it. 
Okay, welcome to another round of Hey, What Did We Miss? The Young IPA Quiz Loaded Quiz uh, panel coming up. Are they panalists or contestants? Contestants, the right way. Uh, yeah, so Loaded Quiz contestants. So, a friend of the show, Adam Schlitt. G'day. Schlitt? Schlicked. Schlicked? Schlicked. Schlicked. I, I take anything. Yeah, okay. Good. <laughs> Back by popular demand. Back by popular yeah. demand. Yeah. Morgan Begg, very yes. much an easier surname to That's pronounce. <laughs> And, uh, of course, reigning champion, the Roof Seal, Peter Gregory. So, if it is your first quiz, one point for correct answers, one point off for incorrect answers. It's a current affairs sort of arrangement. News and current affairs. Just give uh, me five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> you'll, need it. you'll need that paper. That's all I did for research. Can uh, I point out that it's, uh, Morgan's dressed up, and I appreciate that. Yeah, Morgan's oh. brought a suit to this for the people listening, and it's, and it's intimidating. Mm. Um, and to be honest, Pete was talking some incredible trash mm. all morning about how he's going to absolutely oh. blitz the competition. I'm, Do you not find wor- <laughs> I'm not worried at all by either of these two. No, <laughs> so you don't find the full suit intimidating. <laughs> All right, uh, and for buzzers, we're just going to be using first names. So Adam, 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 I can do that. Morgan, 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 and R- Pete. Roof, 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 roof. The roof seal. All Come right, on, uh, this time. Let's go. All right, I like the energy. All right, so question one: Dr. Bella Debrera wrote about a university program called Future Fixes' key theme of resurgent racism this week. Which university? Roof, roof. University of Sydney. University of Sydney is the host of Future Fix. Gotta be quick. Living up to warm up. He's (laughs) working the bugs out. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So we go to ipa.org.au for that article. Uh, Which former ABC's present? Which former ABC presenter's first lecture to RMIT talked about how the Liberal Party is now? Barry Cassidy. Barry Cassidy. Oh, Pete is showing away. Hey, yeah. But on, I mean, yeah. as if the Liberal Party is far right. Like, <laughs> I think Barry Cassidy is barely even a conservative. Yeah, exactly. I think Barry Cassidy uh, is just, you know, wanting to get a few retweets. He's in the university. He's got to appeal to the youth. So if you just yeah. say Liberal Party's far right, you know, anything's far right to the right about Barry come Cassidy. On, I gotta come say. On, Barry. All right. Uh, so under contentious circumstances, who won the NRL Grand Final on the weekend? Adam Morgan. Adam Roosters. Sydney. Where are they from? Sydney Roosters. Yeah, Sydney Roosters. <laughs> I'll give it. Uh, yeah. I don't understand rugby rules at all, but apparently it was yeah. contentious. Does people anyone, were angry about it. Zach Gorman angry. was absolutely ropeable. Yeah, I heard yeah. all 57 fans in the stadium were uh, apoplectic. <laughs> I think the crowd was 82,000, 80 but that, <laughs> Zach was also disappointed that there was no two he's new in his local bottle shop. Yes, I saw so. that angry Facebook post. <laughs> had a Get few words to say about Melbourne. Uh, in the IPA's new video, How the Enlightenment Came to Australia, once again, go to ipa.org.au. Who was the most read economic philosopher by Australian colonists? Well, that's a good question. It is a very good question. And I was, was quite Dr. proud of myself. Dr. Bella Debrera again. Starring as usual. Yes. Mm. In I the quiz of, and on our website. I could have a guess, but I don't want to lose a point. Uh, Morgan. I'll All say. right. Morgan? Oh, uh, Adam Smith. Adam Smith is correct. All right. Oh, so, it's going to be something like Karl Marx or... Yeah. <laughs> have a bit Pains. more faith in our yeah. four bars. Yeah. Adam Smith is fair enough. It's yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Uh, so, uh, score check. We've got Pete on two, Morgan on one, and Adam on one. I haven't got an incorrect answer yet. I'm really skittish about getting the wrong answer. Yeah, you don't want to be the first person because I'll come down on you like a ton of you lose a point. You. you lose a point and my respect. Yeah, that's it. You can <laughs> talk amongst yourselves about I'm which, one's more, which <laughs> one's more of a thing. All right. Uh, in November last year, the New South Wales government promised 900 schools would receive funding for air conditioning. Now, as of today, according Ooh. to the Sydney Morning Herald, how many have it? No points off, closest to gets it. Okay, so, so closest ni- to the pin. Closest to the pin. 900 yeah. schools were promised. When did they say? Uh, they said November last year, they just said 900 schools are getting funding. It'd be 71. Morgan. 71? Um I haven't seen this story, but I'll say zero. Zero? That's I'm going to go 50. 50. Uh, closest two is Adam. It's 27. Oh. So only two oh, off. Geez. The 27 schools. Come on. Yeah. It's not a lot. <laughs> 700. Yeah. At the very least, I should have said five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they would have put it in one. They would have the put closest it in, yeah. one to the parliament. Yeah. Closest one to the parliament, the one with the most uh, kids in the school yeah. from, who, of politicians. All right. So we're recording this on Monday. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So today, which is Monday, but for the people listening, it's three days ago. So, but for the purposes <laughs> of this, today, yeah. today is the 18th anniversary of which nation invading which nation? Actually, we got the last one. I forgot. Did I, you got it? Yeah, yeah, yeah we got the me. last got one, and that'd be roof, that. roof, roof, roof. Yep, America invading Iraq. Not Iraq. Uh, Point off. Morgan. Oh. Afghanistan. Oh, you're such Morgan. a smart Peter. That is, that is basic. I was like, that's not great. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, all right. So score check. Adam and Morgan on two each. Peter is down to one. Absolute hey. reversal of fortunes. Mm. I'll still win this. All right. Uh, uh, which political figure on Sunday gave Boris Johnson a one-week deadline to revise his Brexit plan? Ooh, very public. Didn't, uh, yeah, an didn't audio quiss got it. Yeah, oh, as I'm speaking, I'm, oh, sorry. telling me to speak <laughs> as I speak. Yeah, um, I'm just seeing that Pete's really lifting up. If the other two want to speak out loud, I don't, mm. um, don't know. 
Absolutely don't know. Absolutely no. Wait, obviously I could have punned. In no way, shape, or form, know the answer to this question. Absolutely Mexican standoff right now. All right, time's uh, up. Yep. Oh. No, no, no I got another one. Uh, okay. Uh, time's up. It was Emmanuel Macron. Okay, I wouldn't uh, If Macron yeah. gets angry with you, time to start. What does he get to decide? Well, because like, he's you know, a big player in the EU. He's right. like, this Brexit deal won't fly. Just stop tweeting fake photos, mate. <laughs> Good. Get if, him, if you're get listening, him. get him. All right, uh, next question. Who did Alexander Downer have drinks with that may have started the oh, whole roof? Roof, roof, roof. Oh, crikey. <laughs> oh, no. Like, You're going to lose the point. George Papadopoulos. Is correct. Yes. Good one. I knew. I was, yeah. Okay, uh, and that was the uh, drinks that started off the Mueller report investigation, maybe. But what, one gin and tonic they had each. One, wow. Really? Our mate. Oh, oh, no. There's a few searching questions the US people would want to ask asking Peter if he mm. knows this much about the drinks. One gin and tonic in an hour. Ooh. Bit slow. Come on, mm. mate. Mm. <laughs> keep keep it up. A lot to catch talk up. about. Uh, all right. Uh, which US presidential candidate claims she was fired from a teaching job for being visibly pregnant, but a uh, surface video from 2008 has that same presidential candidate saying she was fired because she wasn't qualified? Oh, I just read this. Forgot her name. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I would say so is most of the American public. Okay, so that's um, a hint. Morgan. Morgan. Is it that... Um Marianne No, Williamson. I wish, yeah. I wish. I think <laughs> she's I just seems right up her She's rally. my favourite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as much as I do like Tulsi Gabbard, Marianne Williamson was, like, if, if she was the candidate, oh, that would have been perfect. It's not Marianne Williamson. That's a point off for Morgs. Anyone want, want to take a stab? No, I don't want to take a stab. I want to hold on to <laughs> yeah, my... Yeah, no, it's not worth right, it. I will say she's also got a history of faking things to get... Roof, roof. Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, I'll give it to you. That was a big hint. It was a big hint. Yeah. Oh, Look at Adam's about to you work You know what? It. I think everyone's I just about to give up. So do I give it to Pete? I would say don't no? give it to me. That I would say give it. Okay, sorry. Uh, we're at the I'm Who Am player. I? We're at the Who Am I? Pete is on two, Morgan is on one, Adam is on two. So anyone can win. Anyone can win. I'm this banking on Pete stuffing it up and losing it. Oh, <laughs> oh, here, here we, we go. go. <laughs> the hunter becomes the hunter. <laughs> I like it. That's a big old target on Pete. All right, who am I? Today, again, Monday, not Thursday mm-hmm. or whenever you're listening to this, but Monday when we're recording today is my 66th birthday. Oh, Five points. In, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yep. Anyone want to make a stab at a five-pointer? No. For an absolute walk-off? Morgan is no. so <laughs> I am. Morgan yeah. had the most furrowed brow in the history of furrowed brows. I'm glad we got a recording of that because that, that was intense. Uh, all right. Uh, question four. I've been president of my country on two separate occasions. Oh, crikey. President of my country. Um, could be any country. No, this one. Could be. That has a presidency. Yeah. <laughs> Very good, James. <laughs> stipulation. Don't, don't know, mate. Yeah. All right. So down to three. My parents' names... Of Vladimir and Maria. Roof, roof. Roof, roof. Vladimir Putin. It is Vladimir. Yeah. Again, the champion. Getting a bit of a win streak happening now, Pete. I just think, you know, the quiz is something you have to get used to. Yeah. Doing it every week gives me the advantage. I'm surprised Dad is 66 years old. Is that what you said? Yeah. Did you think older or younger? I would have thought younger. Mm. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Mm. I would have thought about 66. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'd just say. (laughs) (laughs) I'd just say it at the five point. I didn't think (laughs) Clearly said it was 66 years old. The fact that his name. Who do I think 66? His dad's name's Vladimir and his mum's name's Maria. Oh, well, Maria doesn't narrow it down. Vladimir definitely narrows it down. Yeah. All right, sweet. Uh, so that is it for the quiz. Uh, we've got more show coming up after this. Awesome. Okay, congratulations again, Pete. I think it's starting to become a bit of a problem, this. This is you know, becoming a bit of a dynasty. We're going to have to invent some new rules to keep me from winning. Uh, all right. Oh, uh, I should point out, actually, in the quiz, when Bolt says colonists, I actually thought he said economists. Yeah. That's why I was suggesting all our colonists would read Karl Marx, because all our economists probably do. So I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah, uh, and people were wondering. <laughs> yeah, people were wondering. <laughs> people- Stop. Stop bagging the. If anyone's settlers. still listening to the show after that absolute uh, debacle of a travesty, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, sorry then about that, we folks. have the Pete's official apology. Yeah. Um, all right, uh, that a slightly less contentious apology than Daryl Morey's one for Hong Kong. Yeah. <laughs> standing up for Hong Kong. Similar though. All right, uh, let's get into segments now. Uh, we want to start off with the here's a cool thing. Yeah. So Pete, t- talk us through it. Well, this is a segment we've done a few times, usually in relation to stuff that's happened in the developing world. It's been a really cool development. It's you know, as a bit of an antidote to all the negative news that we hear these days. So it's a segment called Here's a Cool Thing. Now, it's a bit different this week because it's not in the developing world, but it's in uh, the United States on the weekend. Uh, well, sorry, earlier this week, uh, talk show host Alan DeGeneres, everyone knows who Alan is, uh, said this on Tuesday. Here's a 
thing. I'm friends with George Bush. In fact, I'm friends with a lot of people who don't share the same beliefs that I have. We're all different, and I think that we've forgotten that that's okay that we're all different. For instance, I wish people wouldn't wear fur. I don't like it, but but I'm friends with people who wear fur. And I, I'm friends with people who are furry, as a matter of fact. I have <laughs> friends who should tweeze more. And I, I have... But just because I don't agree with someone on everything doesn't mean that I'm not going to be friends with them. When I say be kind to one another, I don't mean only the people that think the same way that you do. I mean be kind to everyone. Doesn't matter. Now, what she's talking about is uh, Ellen attended a Dallas Cowboys versus Green Bay Packers match over the weekend, where she was a guest of the Dallas owners, and she was seated next to former U.S. President George W. Bush. Now, so not a complicated one here. You know, it's not a big elaborate point. It's just saying... As Ellen says, you know, you can sit next to, you can be friends with someone you disagree with and you can respect people that you disagree with and if there's a little bit more of that in the world, James, yep. we'd be better off. And Yeah, and you can also like sit next to someone for three hours at a football game mm. without like... civilised. Yeah, and be civilised. Yeah. Like that, that, that's all we need. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just that. Exactly right. And she's, of course, a, a famously a California liberal. Actually. Yeah, yeah, and she's gay and like people mm. were saying, oh, but George Bush had anti-gay policies. Mm. Like you've taken a very optimistic view of this and good on Ellen, but I have a slightly more pessimistic view because I did the mistake of like scrolling down on Twitter and just yeah. seeing the replies and it is toxic it was it was mostly critical of ellen people being like yep that sounds about white uh as in like you know if you're a person of color you wouldn't be behaving like this or i'm too rich for george bush to care about uh to, to care about george bush's legacy that kind of stuff like this you know when people go like oh conservatives do this too how many people have like asked George Bush to apologize to, for sitting next to Ellen? Like it's literally one-sided people saying Ellen should apologize for sitting next to George Bush. Mm. Like that is where discourse is at at the moment. Yeah, look, I, I'll take your point, but you shouldn't mistake Twitter for the real world. Yes, I should. Twitter is a very sort of thin thing, and you know most people don't care. Yeah, exactly. All right, I Go didn't do that. Okay, uh, I got another story. This one coming out of the UK. Now, UK, as people who've been listening to the show, or you know, people who just following the news know, UK got a bit of a knife crime problem. They do, and yeah. it's uh, it's growing, mm. and it's not going away. So there's been a whole lot of ideas as to how to combat that. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's one for you. This is a open letter signed by the uh, diocese of. Ro- I'm not a very religious person. Yep. Is it diocese? Yep. Diocese of Rochester, uh, signed by uh, church leaders, lawmakers, psychiatrists, academics, and the like. We are the uns- undersigned and professionals, community leaders from across the UK, calling the government to see the sale of pointed domestic kitchen knives as a thing of the past. Historically, we needed a point on the end of our knife to pick up food because forks weren't invented. Now we only need the point to open packets when we can't be bothered finding the scissors. Mm, bit of humour. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strong claim. Yeah. It's, a, it's a big idea. It is it's a big a idea. bold strategy. Yep. What are your thoughts? Well, look, the, oh, so this is the Church of England, right? Yeah. So the, call me old-fashioned, and I'm no theologian, James, <laughs> but the role of religion is to, is to, what's the word, like... Bring you closer to God. Bring you closer to God, but to like... Cure the souls of people committing these crimes. Yeah. Like you're meant to help people who are troubled or whatever it is. You're not meant to su- suggest public policy. Yeah. And especially not public policy like this. <laughs> public policy this silly. Yeah, exactly. So just concentrate on the souls. Yeah. <laughs> just concentrate on the souls. Is that, uh, is that too much to ask? No, I don't think it is too much to ask. My text yeah. were, you take my laziness to find the scissors from my cold dead hands. Yeah, like exactly. that gets me through the day is oh. looking at like my unopened pack of bacon and going like, I could find the scissors yeah. or stabby stab stab. I know, uh, that, I know that drives you crazy. Yeah. And like uh, the other part is like, even if you take out the point, Knives are still sharp. Oh, yeah, that's unless Unless you're just going like, okay, we're now going to cut stakes with clubs. Yeah. Like, knives will still be sharp. People will find a way. You like, they literally it. just have to angle the knife slightly differently and the problem still exists. Just look at the wrist. <laughs> so... Yeah, hey, you know, not a lot of, not a lot, you know a lot about the old knifey knife. I, I absolutely do not, but that yeah, solves nothing. Uh, exactly. All right, uh, another story we want to get to. Sorry, this is coming out of the UK as well. Now, uh, Jeremy Corbyn put up an interesting tweet and video, and we want to play it right now. Thousands of people all across the country are gearing up for an election. They're gearing up for an election because they want to change the country. So that is the voice of Jeremy Corbyn. Mm-hmm. And if for people who are listening and not watching, that is overlaid on a bunch of people that are supposedly out to vote Labour. It's mm-hmm. like lines around the block. Yep. Uh, you literally stop them having an election. Like you, Jeremy Corbyn, not you, Pete. I know I'm looking at you. <laughs> but right. Jeremy Corbyn literally yeah. stopped people from having an election. Yeah. You can't get on your high horse about how ready you are for one. He was the first opposition leader in history to reject the opportunity to have an election. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. Wow. It's something makes something makes Making history. that's going to come back to bite him over the course <laughs> yeah. of the coming election, which is surely coming. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's all that needs. But mm. just like you, 
you literally did stop them doing that. Exactly stop gearing right. up and give them one. And if you watch that video in full, you will become a little bit dizzy because he goes around the block of that <laughs> line of people and I did set got a bit sick. Anyway, <laughs> just a note. All right, last story of the day, then you can get on with your just lives. Just a comfort claim. <laughs> yeah, I should actually. Speak to Andy. Anyway, last one of the day. All right, so real estate website, Domain, reported during Don't the- say Pete doesn't care about you listeners out there. Pete exactly. is willing to experience motion sickness to yeah. give you the takes that you deserve. Stop saying that, everyone. Uh, so Domain, real estate website, was reported last week that, uh, and I quote, lenders are scrutinizing suggestive jokes appearing in the bank statements of prospective home buyers, potentially causing delays to their mortgage applications. For example, instead of labeling the transaction as dinner, they may describe the funds as for sexual services or illicit drugs. Now, what this means is when you and your mates go out for dinner, someone covers it on their card and you uh, hit them back with an EFT transfer, don't write Coke and hookers. Yep. Because that may delay their home loan in the future. Yes. So that's an unbelievable And you can do better than that one. Like, there's so much more inventive ones you can do. <laughs> what other ones can you do, James? Uh, well, like, the one I do for literally pretty much every time I have to transfer money to anyone in my life, yeah. it will be uh, under for being so sexy. So, Like, I, I don't care who it is. And nearly I've paid my rent money doing that <laughs> to, <laughs> so, to my landlord. So down the track... So down the track, your mates are sitting in a you know a bank you yep. know, across the desk from someone who's a loan officer. Yeah. And you're like, so when so this transaction for being sexy, what's yeah. that about? And they could just lean back and just go, you're looking at it. Pretty self-explanatory, <laughs> I would have thought. What what else do you need? Anyway, I've done a thousand, trouble. This is why the whole property market slowed down because literally every transaction that you make to your mates, yeah. you sort of have a bit of fun. Like literally, with them. yeah. Um, I want to point out uh, two things here. So Treasurer Josh Frydenberg last week warned against lenders becoming too stringent in enforcing responsible lending rules. Hmm. Josh gets it. I just want that on the record. Josh gets it. Josh knows that uh, when the bill comes, that is prime comedy time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, The other part is this. Overuse of Uber and Uber Eats has been cited as a reason to knock back mortgage applicants, with banks also wary of other debts, gambling habits, and subscription services such as Netflix. I will literally never own a home. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think at this point, banks will stop me even casually looking at auction signs as I walk by on the street. Yeah. that is how screwed up, uh, screwed I am. So you appear to have made the same transaction every half an hour for six hours on Saturday night. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, well, well, what do you reckon's going on? What do you reckon? And the, and look, what, what is this Uber Eats order of McDonald's at seven forty-eight in the morning? Yeah. What do you reckon it is? And look, this is all on the back of the uh, finance, the the regulators. Uh, what's it called? Cracking down yep. and the uh, Royal Commission we had last year into financial services. All right, cool. Which uh, is the political angle. Mm. Very, very interesting, serious political point you have. You to, to end alone. the show. Yeah. We could have ended it on the funny, but uh, no one beats got to get political. <laughs> All right, uh, that is it for the show this week. Thank you to Tim Wilson and Vale Sloan. Head on down to Stand Up for Nuclear. Get involved with Atlas. Uh, support Tim in his efforts to support Hong Kong. And uh, we'll see you guys next. Oh, yeah. And don't forget to, you know, uh, leave us a five-star review mm. if you're listening through iTunes. Helps us out with the rankings. Tell your mates. Uh, tell your mates about the show. We're now on YouTube. So subscribe if you like watching a podcast or a YouTube or if you have friends who watch podcasts or YouTube uh, now. See you guys next week. See ya.